0: Sorry, just sorting out technology. Hello, welcome. Um, How cute were those little lads on that picture that I managed to finally choose for... Oh, here we go. Look at them, they're my nephews, aren't they cute? Just have a proud auntie moment. Um, This was taken on our summer holiday in Akaroa this year, and summer holidays for us often come with two core ingredients. A watery location, and preferably of the uh, salty ocean kind, carrying a bounty of Kaua moana food from the sea, and family, of course. These two ingredients together bring so much joy, but some trepidation to those of us family members who suffer the plight of, uh, of seasickness. Now, you may think, as fully developed adults, that we have the choice of whether or not we want to enjoy the rocky, endure the rocky unpredictability of the ocean swells, well I have a couple of things to say to you about that. First, you don't know how good my family is at peer pressure, and second, never underestimate the sweet taste of freshly caught blue cod or crayfish. So where does the peer pressure come in, I, I hear you ask, loud and clear? Um, well, you need as many bodies on the boat so that you can increase the limit of the catch that you're allowed to keep. Yeah. (laughs) So on our summer holidays, I'm often given the task of bum on the seat. Sometimes the tasks entail a bit more than that, like driving the boat when my brother is diving and my dad's sorting out the fishing rods and all of that. Um, That's not really my favorite job, driving the boat while he's diving. It comes with a lot of responsibility. First, you need to keep an eye on the shoreline and make sure that you're not coming anywhere near the rocks that he's diving in. You also need to make sure that you know where Kyle is at all times, just in case he gets into trouble and you need to pop up and get him. Um, And you also need to keep your eye out around for all the other boaties to make sure they're not coming in hot and fast and haven't seen your diver flag So, a lot to keep your eye on. And bear in mind, I only drive the boat maybe once a year and only for this purpose. So, I always have a refresh of what's going on, but I'm definitely a nervous Nelly when it comes to drifting too close to the shore. Are the rocks close, Dad? Are they too close? Do I need to turn the key? Do I need to start? Dad, Dad, are they too close? What do you think? There's often (laughs) the repertoire that's coming out. On our family our family holiday family, Akaroa, family holiday in Akaroa this year, unfortunately, it wasn't great diving conditions. So instead, my brother, he took his family out to find some dolphins and to go fishing, and Dad tagged along too. So thankfully, I wasn't needed. Unfortunately, as they were drifting in a sheltered spot between some rocks, and they were about ready to go, the motor wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start, and it wouldn't start, so the panic starts to set in. As his wife is wrangling two, two of these three, uh, who were all asking what was happening, Kyle was grabbing the oars, and so was Dad, and they were starting to paddle furiously, as well as furiously wave a paddle out to a cl- boat close by, raising the paddle, raising their loudest outside voices that they could. Um... They finally got the attention of the other boat and the boat, the would-be rescuers, they, they made it over and they chucked out a line and they were about ready to ta- start towing them and Kyle thought, I'll try the key one more time. Lo and behold, the motor starts. So now rescue is off the card, but a quick, tro- a quick trip home is in order. So why, why do I enlighten you with the day in the life of the Morris family antics? Well, the topic of drifting has appeared a couple of times for me over the recent months, literally and metaphorically. So as you do when you notice some of these themes that reoccur in your life, your antenna picks up and you hone in a bit and you just lean in and, God, have you got something to teach me in this moment? My um, first thought of drifting was here at church at Collective Pursuit. And on that night, there was a theme um, with words given and stuff, just a reoccurring theme over the night about the safety of the anchor in Christ. But I had the picture of being in a boat and just drifting at sea, not in control, just rocking to and fro, rudderless, directionless, not in control. Um just going wherever the tide takes you. But it was time to drop anchor and plan the course. And so I knew that this picture spoke clearly into my life, but I felt at the time that I needed to share it because I knew that I wasn't the only boat drifting in the ocean. Then, guys, I hate to admit it, but I was influenced on Instagram, by none other than the great Christine Kane. She wrote a new book last year called, um, oh, how did I get here? Um, let's see if you can tell why I was drawn to this book one of the points in the blurb is identify the nine signs you are drifting off course and realign with God's purpose Um, so knowing myself and know that I actually am not a great reader of books like this that are not historical romances I still purchased the book (laughs) it took a while before I opened it but I opened it and read it Um, Thankfully, it's a historical romance about Jesus' love for us. So I love a good metaphor and a good word picture um, to really describe and explain the idea or concept. And I often find that this is how I personally hear from God. And here, Christine Kane is in her book, teasing out a picture that I had had. She describes about drifting and the perils that it can bring if you're not paying attention as the current is always moving. She describes about dropping and setting anchor, the the maintenance that is required to ensure optimal safety and optimal connectedness to Jesus, our anchor. The titles of each chapter draw me in as they are the nine signs you are drifting. You know you are drifting when you stop trusting and start controlling. You know you are drifting when you stop praying and start talking. You know you are drifting when you stop gathering and start isolating. Oh, ding, ding, ding. That one sure got me. So rather than plagiarise Christine's book, I highly recommend it, and I wish I had an influencer code that you could get a discount on, but not today. Um, But I um, just wanted to use that sort of, I guess, metaphor as a springboard for today. But first, just a sneaky little quote of, you know you are drifting when you are isolating and not gathering. When we stop gathering, we start isolating. When we start isolating, we start drifting. Now, I realise we are living, literally living in circumstances where that puts us uh, into physical isolation. So I'm not trying to suggest that having to isolate in order to benefit our health and others is what's starting to cause us to drift away from God. But what I do want to suggest is, has anybody else noticed those sneaky little thoughts or excuses pop into your mind that are starting to cause a bit of an isolating, drifting kind of wedge? Like, isn't it nice to have Sunday mornings to do what you want? Like an extra morning to get the odd jobs done around the house? That's not my thought. Someone else might have that one. Um, more time to sleep in, that's my thought, after binge-watching Netflix or maybe doing a Marvel Marvel marathon the night before. Or (coughs) do I detect a cough? I'd better stay home today. I would hate to pass anything on to anyone. Or when you would normally uh, be joining in smaller group gatherings, whether it's with church or work or school or home, uh, friends, family it becomes much harder to almost like to feel like you have to muster the effort um, mentally and emotionally because you just find it draining to think of small talk or banter that you would normally thrive off. Also who could be blamed for thinking that these past two years have a lot to answer for? They have definitely taken their toll mentally, financially, physically, emotionally, in fact all the leads that affect our life. And not just COVID, but we as a church family, as Andrew mentioned before, have just um, gone through uh, the grieving process of losing John and Sandra as being a constant um, in our lives. And that would look differently for each of us. And I know there are those of you who who have had blows with your health and perhaps feel isolated in the way that you can't engage with life in the way you once did or could. Or there are those of you who feel... Your passion is waning in areas that you once loved to be involved in, to serve in, or to lead. And you just can't feel yourself, and you can just feel yourself starting to disconnect, starting to draw back so others don't notice, starting to isolate. There are a myriad of ways that we can start to retreat, stop gathering, and start isolating. Some big and some seemingly small, but ne- nevertheless, the niggles can creep in and start wedging us apart from fellowship, wedging us apart from our relationship with God. Henry Cloud says, There is a difference between solitude and isolation. One is connected and one isn't. Solitude replenishes and isolation diminishes. There is a difference between solitude and isolation one is connected and one isn't. Solitude replenishes and isolation diminishes. I don't think I speak for myself when I say we need to be a bit more savvy at identifying the differences in ourselves and in our friends when one is having a time of solitude or I guess the phrase is now me time or me and God time rather than retreating into their own form of isolation. Friendship is one tool that we have up our sleeves and perhaps underutilized for keeping our friends out of an isolated state of mind. Let's look at um, John fifteen one to seventeen, and I'm reading from the NLT. Sorry. Uh, So John fifteen verse 1. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do be a fruit so they re- will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified in the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Thanks, Caleb. Um Uh, Other versions also say, instead of remain in me, abide in me and I in you. And I looked up a commentary, Anna, thank you for the tips. Um, Abide in me and I in you, which emphasises a mutual relationship. And it also points to um, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Um, So, sorry, carrying on. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce more fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned, but if you want to remain... But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Okay, love does your vision say love one and another? Um, so here is a beautiful passage where Jesus is telling us that he chose us. He chose us not just to do his bidding, but to be his friends. Jesus chose us to be his friends. And that friendship with Jesus looks like him loving on us in the same way that his father loves on him. Our job is to remain in him, not drift away, not be cut from the vine, but to remain in him. So we can be showered in his love and pass that outpouring of love onto others to quote a podcast i heard earlier this week we are to be the moon that reflects the light from the sun if we are to remain in jesus remain in the vine not be cut off or drift away from it then we are the one bearing fruit sorry then the way we are bearing fruit is through loving one another as we are all branches in the same vine Some of the ways that Jesus loved his disciples was by guiding them, teaching them, protecting them, and sacrificially serving them. And I'll just go into those a little bit deeper. So I will talk about... um, guiding them first so one of my uh, friends from work is my adventure buddy she's so good at initiating adventures and to go through to follow through on what she uh, suggests you know when you get together with people and you start talking about your separate camping adventures and someone's like oh we should go camping together and it never happens well this friend she makes sure that it happens so, one adventurous day, a group of us went paddleboarding. And as we were setting up, she realised that the um, clip that's to keep her fin attached to the paddleboard was broken. So uh, because we're a bit out of town, well, what do you do? Like, let's just give it a go anyway. But uh, it was within minutes, it was really clear that the tiny little clip was really important because the fin slid right off the board and she was rudderless, she was directionless. The, pad- the board was fishtailing all over the show as she was trying to desperately paddle to keep it moving. So she was literally going nowhere fast. So what do we do? I took off my leg leash and I attached it to the front of her board and then continued to drag her about the bay with us for the rest of the day. It was a great day. I'm so pleased that she didn't miss out on it because it was the day that a Mama Hector dolphin popped up and touched our boards with her baby dolphin following. So here we have a drifter and a guide. This was quite the adventurous guide for me, but there'll be times when we need to guide our friends back to the vine, guiding them back to remaining, abiding in, loving Jesus. When I felt like I was drifting out of sight, when I was isolating myself away from real conversations, I'd still hang out, but I was isolating in my heart. Um, I had a good friend who we didn't catch up very often, but when we caught up, she could see it. We would pray together, and I know that she prayed for me in between catch-ups, but it got to the point where she needed to strap my boat to hers, and one catch-up, she said to me, come stay with me for a weekend. Let me love on you. Let me care for you. You don't need to lift a finger. Have solitude when you need it. Let's chat and pray when you're ready. Just let me love on you. Just come and be. The independent spirit within me rose to the forefront, wanting to turn down the offer. The voice inside my head said of what I was going through was just really trifling to what other people go through, X, Y, Z. That I should just be able to pick myself up and sort it out. But the core of me was just so relieved that I was found. When I arrived for this weekend of respite care for the soul. I found a new journal and a pen on the pillow where you would normally find chocolates. But not complaining, (laughs) the journal and the pen. I love stationery just as much as I love chocolate. Um, I didn't have to think about what to cook or what to eat. It was just served to me. I was even treated to homemade baking the sea fog started to lift and I started to see landmarks again and it felt like I was beginning to find direction direction towards Jesus an example of guiding friendship in the Bible is um, Ruth and Naomi and just the way that they guide each other within their tragedy sacrificial love now, I can't say that I've had to lay my life down for my friends, but perhaps I have had to sacrifice my view of friendship, or rather my needs of, um, of a friendship, I guess. I have had to learn over the years that friendships change and develop as we grow, and but also cha- seasons in our lives change too. Like when I was just recently out of school and I was flatting with one of my best friends from school, And she got into a relationship at the similar time that she was moving out of town to study. So when she came back into town, who was it that she spent time with? Not me. But the new boyfriend, who happens to now be her husband. So I guess it was worth investing time into that relationship. But um, at the time, it really hurt. And I let it really feed into my view of being rejected. And this happened more than one time with various friendships over different situations because I was holding the friendship tight in my hand under the structure that we originally set the friendship up to be. But, and I got hurt when that structure naturally changed with the seasons in my life or my friends' lives. I didn't want to sacrifice or open my hand. Um, I didn't want to sacrifice the friendship that we had to new limitations because of new priorities that either of us had. Of course I was happy for them, but it just took time to adjust to the new season of our friendship and what that would look like. And it took time for me to realise it was okay to grieve the change in season, but not to be afraid to promote my friend into a new season in their life. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of sacrificial love, but another wonderful example is Jonathan and David in the Bible and how Jonathan happily promotes David above himself. Protecting them. Another friend that I grew up with, um, had deep roots of friendship with, was the one who was drifting, and I didn't notice it until it was too late. Of course, I continue to pray for her and that she will find the deep relationship or the deep love of Jesus that she once knew. But I can't help use the fine-tooth comb of hindsight to wonder where I could have protected her. And actually, would I have protected her if I realised I had the chance? Put so bluntly, I hope I would. But something that is not often high on the friendship priority list these days is speaking hard truths. They are often coded... Hard truths, but the truths need to be coded in grace. I just wanted to add that in, sorry. Courageous conversations are not high in my repertoire of skills either. I tend to shy away from what I view as conflict. Is it because I'm protecting myself from a potential fallout from seed conversation? I know that I have friends that have permission to speak into my life, but if I really looked at it, do I feel okay to speak into their lives, or does my insecurity hold me back from um, wondering if they're going to take offence from it and that that will be the end of the friendship? Do you have friends that speak, have permission to speak into your life with truth and grace? As friends in the kingdom of God, it is our job to keep pointing our friends towards Jesus, to protect them from drifting so far, of course, that they can't find their way back. Paul, in his uh, friendship with Philemon, beseeching him to forgive Onesimus, if that's how you say it, um, is a great example of a protecting friendship, teaching them. Well, Proverbs thirteen twenty puts it bluntly by saying, walking with the wise and becoming, oh, sorry, I'll start that again, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. The definition of a mentor is a wise and trusted counsellor or teacher, an influential senior sponsor or supporter. We will have seasons of friendships based on a mentor-like model. I remember praying for a mentor a good few years ago, and within weeks of praying of who I could ask, Kim Button walks up to me one Sunday after church and asks if I'd like to go out for coffee. Through our friendship, I began to understand more about who I was and how I was wired, and essentially how that meant I was hearing from God. And on top of that was a boldness in learning how to speak out what I was hearing from God in the times that I was required to speak out. These are skills that I've been able to develop further since the time that we regularly caught up. That was intentional mentoring friendship and sometimes teaching is not so intentional, and it's just you being you and the friendship. I love this quote from Bob Goff. The teachers I have learned the most from didn't think they were teaching me. They just thought that we were friends. There are so many things I have learned through the treasures that I call friends. I've learned about hospitality, from Kat and Caleb by experiencing it and by witnessing the way that they open their home, their hearts and their family and their kitchen cupboards to um, those who need it. I've learnt the value of just being and listening from Matt and Nikki. I've learnt about the realms of creativity from Sandra, Leanna and Ruby. And I've learnt what doing community and family looks like from many of you here. I've learned how to be intentional with thoughtfulness through one of my good friends, Helen. And it's hard to think what I perhaps am in imparting to, to into my friendship. I know that I have imparted my passion for paddle boarding. My club of one has now turned into a club of seven and counting at work. Um, so I hope that that is undergirded by a sort of a get out there and give it a try kind of wisdom or passion. But my aim is to now to look to God for wisdom and reflect that back to my friends. Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy are great examples in the Bible of guiding and growing friendship. Now as I come to a close, um, yeah, Ben, if you would like to come, uh, I just wanted to put in a little disclaimer you know who you are you know what your strengths are and you know what drains you so please don't walk away feeling like you have to be everything to everybody seek God on how you can love on your friends he will give you light bulb moments where you suggest to dog sit for a weekend for a friend or write a card of gratitude to someone about the person who they are to you or you offer your trailer and movie services or invite someone around to watch a movie or the league. Let's be intentional in a world where we are prone to isolate and make sure your friends aren't drifting without you noticing. Maybe we can go away from today and ask God of three people that he wants to place on our hearts. And how we can grow our friendship with them, or just share with them that they are connected to at least one person. And they can start the process from moving from isolation, isolating to gathering, wanting to them to draw closer to the fullness and the fullness of joy that it is in having a relationship, a friendship with Jesus. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me you didn't choose me I chose you I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name This is my command, love each other. Wow, what an awesome message, Tara. Thanks so much for sharing your heart. Why don't you all stand with me? I think there's definitely some, something, if not many things we can all take from Tara's message this morning. So just as we sing this next song, I just encourage you to just be mulling that over with God. to my soul who can spin the world up.